Hello, and welcome to the Brandon's Bikes Podcast, where we discuss not only cycling, but all endurance sports. From race previews to post-race reviews, training, nutrition, and more, we like to encourage people of all fitness levels to live an active lifestyle and explore their physical and mental limits in a safe and responsible way. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. In this episode, I sit down with Jeremiah Bishop. Jeremiah is a professional mountain bike racer and cycling coach and has spent the last couple of decades traveling all over the world, competing in and winning some of the most grueling races. Most recently though, Jeremiah started working on a project called The Impossible Route. The Impossible Route is a documentary series where Jeremiah and Tyler Pierce travel to various locations to tackle routes that some would consider, well, impossible. In this episode, Jeremiah talks about how the impossible route got started, some of the routes he's already done, and some that are currently in the works. Check out the show notes to find out more about the impossible route, to contact Jeremiah, or to follow him on social media. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. All right. Jeremiah Bishop, welcome to the Brandon Spikes podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Brandon. No, it's awesome to, to be invited to do fun stuff like this. And uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So um, I know you're busy. You got a lot of stuff going on, racing, uh, coaching, just life. So we'll we'll jump right into it. So um, you are a former or current professional mountain bike racer. Do you still race? Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I still race. I raced last weekend. Okay. Um, you know, with COVID, everybody was retired. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> So I wasn't sure how, um, you know, how much longer I could like, you know, squeak out a, a manageable career in any sort of style. As long as I can still race with some panache, I'm going to still race. I think you still got it, brother. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, uh, you know, I think last weekend showed me that even if I'm not even training like full on, I can still pull some magic out now and then. Yep. So um, it's been a long ride, though. I was just talking with um, uh, Ken Bell, who was the director for Off-Road to Athens, the movie I was in, which, you know, followed the Olympic uh, chase for all the U.S. athletes. Um, and I guess that was in 2004 or something like that. Long time ago. And I was like rookie of the year that year. So, oh, nice. you know, just even considering going for the Olympics was outlandish. It was a ridiculous idea. I was like, what are you talking about, Ken? There's no way. I'm like, you know, I'm still working at the bike shop. And yeah. these other guys are, you know, on these rock star teams. And he's like, no, you should go for it. And I'm like, all right. That's all I needed to, you know, I just needed the idea in my head. That yeah, I man. Some people just need that little push. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody has a self-doubt. Everybody has that, um, you know, unknown. And I was barely able to get the results and wasn't even sure until that spring. So the whole thing for me was just like completely new, 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 new. And uh, yeah, I mean, for a rookie, you know, I did an outstanding job. Um, I also was ill in the hospital. So one of the scenes that should have been in that movie was me with an IV in my arm over here at the local hospital after having passed out, um, 
yeah, I got uh, really sick uh, from a intestinal parasite called Campylobacter. Mm. Um, and so it seems like that didn't make it into the movie. But at that time, I didn't realize that the worse things go, the better it is for entertainment value. But I was more concerned about my racing and, and trying to make the Olympics. So I didn't get yeah. about this movie um, at the time. But, you know, if the movie were actually covering everything, it would have covered extremely exhausting exhausting uh year in which i found out what it's like to try to qualify for the olympics or even race at a professional uh high level and it's it's pretty taxing it's emotionally taxing physically taxing and the kind of thing that um yeah you only learn by doing it and uh you know quite full circle so we were riding the other day talking about the movie and i was like yeah it'd be awesome to do like a re-edit or like a recap which basically just interview some of the athletes full circle you know some are starting businesses others are you know um, doing different things in their life find different meaning for their life with having kids and, and all kinds of stuff like that um, so your perspective on athletics is very different you know and my perspective on my athletics is so much more holistic now it's so much more positive of a relationship that I have with with uh competition and with my own performance i could i could write a book on it you know it, it's so much um so much of why we compete as athletes is um you know ego driven and as athletes it's it's not a positive sustainable mental place right you need to be a cage fighter to be a good athlete you need to be able to look other people in the eye and say, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's like that kind of mentality. You need to be able to fight when you're cornered. You need to be able to dig deeper, work yeah. hard, push more, um, tell yourself yes when your body says no. And all those things um, to some end uh, create a one-dimensional person and you know, at the time, it was very therapeutic for me. I had a lot of uh, frustration and angst as a youth, um, you know, and had to, yeah, I had to prove my worth to myself more than anyone else. And uh, you'll see a lot of driven athletes um, will have a fire in them. It might come from different areas or different places or different reasons, but you need to be on fire mentally. Yeah. To go that extra level. That's probably why so many of those uh, professionals, they, you know, they get burned out and you hear of professionals yeah. retiring at 30 years old. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, their best years are, are upon them at that point. And, um, but for me, I always loved to ride and, and I, I was able to realize that this was so important for my life that without it, it really, um, it changes the meaning of who I am as, as quite frankly, I, I love to move. I love to, um, go fast. I like to inspire other people and I enjoy sharing, you know, the natural world we're able to ride in and, um, you know, help preserve those places and, and, uh, things that we get to do, um, because we're damn lucky to be able to do this. Yep. Uh, you know, we have some phenomenal places to ride a lot of other places in the world. It is not so easy. You don't have all these parks, all these amazing places, uh, safe roads, um, relatively safe roads. 
um, and opportunities to ride and to go race. I mean, it's not like that everywhere. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you get some good places over there where you're at. Oh, uh, well, everywhere in America has, has got some good places. And, and yeah, our area in particular, um, the Shenandoah Valley and the mountains bordering Virginia and West Virginia are phenomenal, yeah. are phenomenal, really uh, some, some magical places. And, you know, just really excited to still be exploring these places, you know, here I'm 45 now on the back end of my career. I mean, I wouldn't call it the end of my career because actually the amazing thing, Brandon, is that my career has just had a renaissance in the last year and a half. Um, and how is that? You know, how in the hell, you know, you have a 45 year old athlete having a renaissance and influencing more people to ride than ever. And that, you know, really comes from identifying what's the opportunity, right? So I've got my speed is not as sharp as it used to be. My endurance is close to as good as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I'm within 5% of my best ever. And at 45, that is really unthinkable. That's completely not supposed to happen. Everybody says you're supposed to get old and die at 30. Right, right. <clears throat> like, you know, you guys are wrong. Um, and you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong. And I'm talking to PhDs and sports scientists and, and people who are supposed to know way more than I know. Um, but you can perform at a very, very high level um, as you get older, especially in endurance athletics. And, yeah. you know, I think that's the uh, consistency over time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Consistency over time and mind over matter. There are certain elements that you can't deny um, about aging, but it's, it's, um, they're very, very minuscule compared to what people think they are. Yeah. Um, and, and so back to what I was saying is you kind of have in every phase of your life, you have a opportunity that you never had before. When you're young, you have opportunities that you, you know, won't have when you're 40 and didn't have when you were 13, you know, play football and, and, you know, do crazy dangerous stuff with no fear. If you want to do backflips on a motorcycle, you better do it when you're in your early twenties. Cause it's right. It's not break, happening later. <laughs> as soon as you break your back a couple of times, guess what? I'm cool. No, thanks. Right, um, right. So that was, you know, racing downhill and all that stuff. And then racing cross country and marathon distance has been phenomenal. And now I've got almost as much speed as I've ever have had but I have twice as much experience yep. as I've ever had. And the experience comes into play in a major way yep. for expedition, uh, planning expedition, situational awareness. Um, yeah. All the tools in the toolbox for, uh, you know, backcountry survival and things like that. I mean, the stuff that kids just don't know, they yep. just don't know what, what you can eat, uh, how to filter water, navigation, um, and all these things combined with a, a new zeal for storytelling has, has been the impetus for Impossible Routes. So check out theimpossibleroute.com. Um, theimpossibleroute.com is where you'll find all the information about the expedition um, documentary series that I've put together uh, and the vegan cyclist. You know, he's the megaphone for this yep. project. 
And, you know, I was going to do it anyway. It was just going to be watched by 10,000 people instead of 450,000 people. Right, right. Um, so I was like, yo, hey, I got this crazy idea. He was like, okay. <laughs> do you want to ride up the world's biggest volcano? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the impossible side, you know, the, the moniker the name, the whole namesake of this thing kind of just came as an accident. You know, I was setting up this trip to ride the east side of Mauna Kea, which is the world's biggest bicycle hill climb. And, you know, my thought was, hey, I'm going to try to go a minute faster, you know, than this Dutch dude that did it. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's cool. But that's what I've been doing my whole career is trying to go one second faster than the next right. Um, but then I was talking with my friend, uh, Alex Candelario, he's a former top national road racer, like silver medal at road nationals. So the dude is no slouch. I mean, he is a really, really fit guy, knows, uh, endurance. And he's like, you know, I mean, everybody's done, you know, the East route of Monica and I, everybody, but you know, hundreds of people, right. It's popular. You should do the impossible route of Monica. That's where the name came from? And I was like, the what? And he was like, yeah, the impossible route. Yeah. You know, and he was telling me about Matt Lieto, like former top Ironman triathlon triathlete, you know, looked at it, was thinking about doing it, decided he couldn't do it or didn't want to do it. And then Barry Wicks, two-time national champion, tried to do it, didn't make it. And I was like, oh man, are you kidding me? bro <laughs> that's what we're doing uh immediately it was like you know what challenge you know it's kind of like when someone says you can't do this you're like oh yeah i can and then yeah. come on game on and uh you know it's really just inspired the whole brand you know and it's uh it's super cool because you know if you, if you do something someone else did then it's pretty hard to make a splash. But if you do something that's never been done before, mic drop, everybody's like, whoa, okay. What the hell are you guys doing? And uh, so that's the impetus for season two. Here we are really halfway through season two. We did uh, Impossible Route Death Valley, which is a monumental undertaking, a week-long ride through Mojave, Death Valley, um, basically crossing this massive wicked desert um from yuma to bishop california basically from the mexican border all the way up to the eastern sierras and yeah it almost killed us <laughs> yeah i just saw that one a few weeks ago actually and uh it was it looked legit like i mean <laughs> it really did so with the impossible route so are you saying that it, it started out with you just wanting to do a ride and you know beat the last fastest time and then it turned into this whole big thing is that kind of where it came from yeah i mean more or less um you know i was looking to do the world's biggest hill climb and i still have a hunch that i've found one that eats even bigger not to give away location but uh i think there's one that's even bigger in prominence i'm gonna go and, and knock out at some point but nice. not gonna spill the beans yeah no where or exactly uh, how that's going to go down. But I think we can top that. I think we can top the uh, impossible route, Monica. It'd be hard to, because it's it's a beautiful route too. There was something also about the route that just really, 
um, captivated me. And I think when we look at this route versus the traditional route, the traditional route goes through some, some different climate zones. Obviously you're, you're on the coast and you kind of get to this, uh, you know, um, lower forest region and then the high steps and, mm -hmm. and the tundra, um, and then the, the, you know, complete lunar landscape of the top, but the approach from the North is phenomenal goes through several rare forests it's like just got these lorax trees you know like from the dr seuss yeah yeah like you're like where where am i um and it's this crazy windswept plain that if you look at the strava heat map like nobody goes there and you're like this is hawaii like where are we it seems just like you're in another planet um yeah it was gorgeous it looked awesome really neat route and I, I hope more people will go do it honestly i'm 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 actually slightly disappointed that more people aren't going and riding that and sending us pictures hey you know rode rode it in three days you know it was awesome uh i mean covid for sure has slowed down that, that attempt but so far we've got three impossible routes that we have ridden and other nobody else has gone and done them it's just i'm like what so you did the one in Hawaii and then you did the Death Valley. And then I saw you did an interview after Garmin Unbound. You were talking about yep. an Appalachian. Yep. Uh, and that's the third one. Roads. So that's the third one, um, which basically traces, I was trying to see if I had the guidebook with me. Um, the Stanton and Parkersburg Turnpike is the core of this route. And the Stanton and Parkersburg Turnpike was the golden road. It was built during the turnpike boom of the 1800s in which, uh, you know, municipalities um, like the Virginia Department of Transportation um, and other uh, private entities would make a road because they knew that you need to get your goods, you know, from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, for example, or from Richmond to the Ohio River Valley in this case. Um, and there was billions of dollars. I mean, it's, it's like the equivalent of uh, a pipeline for oil. You've got oil shale in, or oil uh, in Canada, and then you've got oil refineries in Texas. Your oil is worth nothing unless it's in the form of gas or petroleum products, right? Yeah. I build a pipeline, I just charge you a little bit of money, and then I'm a billionaire, like, boom. That's what this road was. This road was built um, because there were some very powerful people that wanted to be able to get silver from the mines in the Ohio River Valley and trade it with tobacco from Virginia, uh, you know, basically collect tolls for mail delivery. Um, uh, from a defense standpoint, it was a pivotal uh, point in the Civil War in which the Union wanted to control this road and basically cut off a pipeline for the Confederacy. Uh, so it's fascinating, all these battles that took place along this road. Um, and yeah, for me, it's a story of tying together history along with the route. And it was just a fascinating, fascinating um, route. So uh, yeah, man, I've been working on this route for years, honestly. Like last really? year, COVID, I went out into West Virginia to do this massive ride. I've been planning for a long time, never had the time to do pull it off. It's like a 190 mile ride called the Kraken. And the Kraken, oh, yeah, yeah. Goes, you know, into West Virginia on, you know, crazy dirt roads. And, and it's just basically the most effed up thing I could put together that could do within a day. 
I saw that video you put together. Yeah, it ate my lunch. I still haven't ridden the Kraken. So, <laughs> you know, the, the Kraken's going to happen. Um, you know, and the one-day expedition, it's going to happen. I'm going to nail that sucker down. That should be impossible route number four. It's It should be, honestly. It's, uh, you know, it, it's really, really something. Um, and maybe it's its own thing. I don't know. But the idea to do the Stanton and Parkersburg Turnpike, just because the history behind it, I thought uh, was the idea I wanted to go with on this one. And it's a creative concept. You know, it's like writing a movie or something. Or, you know, you have to have, you know, the elements that make it dramatic and then make it um, filled with story and filled with, like, meaning. And, and for this one, these roads are lost, man. I mean, a lot of these roads used to connect, you know, Richmond, uh, the capital of the Confederacy, uh, a really influential city, um, Stanton, um, which was, uh, you know, a booming frontier town, um, Charlottesville, which of course was, you know, a, a big, um, important city politically, uh, during the revolution area. Um, yeah, so it's wild to, to connect basically all these, um, old roads that were built during the turnpike movement. There was a Stanton and Parkersburg turnpike, Brownsville turnpike, Tie River turnpike, um i think there was another one too um and then we kind of connected some of the um rail lines from the blue ridge tunnel and sort of paralleled the rail line that goods merchandise um yeah and, and you know things went on their way to richmond so this trip we basically got flown to the end in a small prop plane dropped off on the ohio river valley and we had to ride back dude that's so awesome it was super so, cool. Logistically, who do you have like a team that kind of creates these routes or is it just you in the cup of coffee and a computer just kind yeah. of figuring this out or what? I'm the, I'm the route man. So Tyler okay. does an incredible amount of editing. People don't get it. The, um, the editing and the creative uh, effort that Tyler put into it was exhausting. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, how people look like when they're done doing an Ultraman triathlon like a yep. double iron man they lay on the ground and just like their soul escapes through their breath <laughs> that's, that's how all. that's how tyler looked at the end of this last garment <laughs> unbound i saw his yeah. video <laughs> you know then that's that's it man you know the effort that he puts into the video editing is really it's a creative effort the effort that i put into the route building um is that effort so yep. this particular route is probably the one i'm most proud of and it's going to be the one that's probably the least dramatic as far as like, you know, you don't have 10,000 foot spires of rock shooting up out of the ground. Right. Um, but it's the mystery and it's tying together, um, you know, some of these forgotten roads. And I think what's really magical about it is Death Valley. Yeah, you don't want to go there. Don't bring your gravel bike there. There's probably three routes that would be really good on a gravel bike or mountain bike. Of the it looked 70s. like you needed a fat tire bike out there. Some sections, yes, but um, it's literally a place to go and you know see how tough you are. It's not really like you know something people would want to do. The Trans Appalachian Lost Roads route is phenomenal. It's just beautiful roads. Um, and even the sections that we were warned about that would be like too busy uh, for a bike, there's a couple sections where the uh, old turnpike 
you know, has been paved and, uh, you know, is, is still pretty modernly used for trucks and logging and coal trucks and stuff like that. But even that was pretty quiet because coal just in the last two years, I mean, coal is done, mm. you know, this big, big moneymaker for, um, you know, Southwest Virginia and Virginia, you know, it's pretty much expended and, um, yeah, I mean, the, the world has moved on to renewable energy sources. Uh, fracking has produced cheaper, um, yeah, cheaper petroleum-based uh, fuels and natural gas, and coal mining is done. But what is left in, you know, our world is that you've got these phenomenal roads and dirt roads with no cars and no yeah. traffic or light car traffic, Uh it was amazing, dude. I'm not kidding. We were riding ribbons of blacktop through the mountains and not seeing a car for a half an hour. Like That's just awesome. Super. But you don't see that anymore. <clears throat> oh, it's, it's phenomenal. You know, a lot of these areas in central Appalachia are losing population. Um, unlike, you know, other cities in the East Coast, obviously, you know, have tons of population increase. But a lot of these counties have the have less population than then. They used to have in 1890. Mm. Wild man, it's super cool. And and some of the sections that I put together weren't readily available. Like I had to do a lot of sleuthing, looking at Landsat, lidar, um, a lot of the mapping resources to patch together routes that are still passable, but they're still like public right of way. Some of the areas of the Stanton and Parkersburg Turnpike are now private property, so you can see the road like going behind you know, a, a yeah. ranch and it's just in the woods covered with trees. So it's grown over. You could like, you know, poke your head back there and see it, but it's lost, you know? Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I was going to ask you. And since you brought it up, how do you, how do you piece one of these routes together? True. It's a long process and it starts with ideation. It starts with the ideation of an episode, right? Um, because I have other routes but they're not going to necessarily make a good episode like the Kraken. You know, I thought, you know, maybe we'll do that because it's it's actually got a couple more passes that I thought are are even cooler than what we did on the, this last route. But there's something about the history of, uh, you know, the Stanton and Parkersburg Turnpike. Claudius Crozet, this engineer from Europe, comes over, you know, teaches at VMI. Um, starts Virginia Department of Transportation or oh, helps to start it. And um, you know, he's tasked with this monumental effort to build the world's longest railroad tunnel underneath of the Blue Ridge Mountains um, with a massive toll, close to 100 lives lost building this tunnel. But it meant big business. It was big business. And as you know, in America, money talks and not much has changed since that time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, terrible toll of lives lost. You know, most of our Irish immigrants that lost their lives. Um, it was also um, one of the heavy, uh, heavy tasks and one of the heavy contributions that enslaved African-Americans made to the infrastructure of this country. So um, primarily the people who were doing the blasting of this tunnel, uh, the floor and ceiling blasts were done concurrently, like, you know, the supplies were mostly run in and out of the tunnel using enslaved labor from uh, several of the plantations. Um, but you have basically this uh, untold story of, yeah, just this uh, monumental um, 
engineering achievement, honestly, you know, it was a combination of things. And, and uh, you know, it's a story with like, I mean, it's, it's really some fascinating things, but also, you know, it, it's uh, got its, its dark side, you know, yeah. obviously all the lives lost in creating this tunnel. The tunnel was sealed off from front to back with concrete and abandoned forever. So CSX put a new tunnel underneath, but the trains are much bigger now and they've got huge boring machines, which basically accomplish what, what took humans a month to right. dig. They could do in 20 minutes with monster like drill boring machines. But this was hand packed, you know, chisel, hammer, pack powder, put a fuse that might explode in 20 seconds or might explode in two minutes. They don't know. And then run. I mean, that's what they would do. And no safety protocols back then. No, not much, not much. And, uh, you know, the lives lost, you know, I think uh, what's what's fascinating, too, is that the, the Irish immigrants during the Great uh, Famine, um, during this uh, Great Blight, the potato famine, um, yeah, they were just looking for a better life. You know, they, they didn't have any reason to stay at home and just watch more people die. You know, they're mass graves because people were dying so fast of starvation. Um, a lot of them worked in the mines there and, uh, you know, weren't making hardly any money. They knew there was a lot of opportunity in America. You could buy property. Um, you could, you know, start a farm. There were jobs working the railroad and jobs mining and building tunnels. So a lot of them came over, sent money back. And it's very similar to, you know, the exodus of, uh, immigrants from the, the, um, you know, really the triangle of, of Latin American countries that we see now. You know, we look at like our, our modern topics of like uh, illegal immigration, things like that. Guess what? It was the Irish at that point who are coming and quote unquote stealing jobs, um, you know, and displacing the opportunities. But they're just looking for a way to raise their kids and, and uh, you know, have a life. But, but you know, it's funny the the railroad, not funny, but it's, it's, it's sad. The railroad, you know, they would get these new you know, boatload of immigrants would come over and then they just lower the wages because, hey, we got more people. So if a dollar a week, dollar fifty a week is not good enough for you, then um, we'll hire that guy. Right. Right. And it's just crazy. It's just mind blowing. Um, and it's just read some of the stories. I read a couple books about this. And uh, yeah, man, you know, like if you blasted your hands off trying to build this tunnel, there was no like workers comp. No, uh -uh. just you just tape your hands up and, and, uh, I don't know, you just, yeah, it's a struggle, man. It's yeah. just wild. So to, to hear the stories behind it, um, are wild. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the enslaved African-Americans that worked on the railroad in the tunnel were mostly, um, mostly stayed outside the tunnel. These, these forces worked alongside each other most of the time. Um, and, and there was surprisingly no friction between the two groups, um, from what I could read in the two books that I read. And, um, but mostly because the economic value that the enslaved African-Americans had, they were kept outside of the most dangerous jobs. So it's, it's one of these just, you know, weird, um, weird things to learn about. It's just, uh, wild absolutely yeah. wild i look forward to that video coming out when when do you think that's coming out uh that's going to come out uh we'll debut it live at bwr san diego oh, 
Nice. Um, and then the actual release of the video on YouTube will happen about uh, 10 to 14 days later. So okay. if you're there and you're able to go to BWR, check it out. It's going to be super fun. We'll have a premiere. Hopefully it'll be a, a red carpet. You know, I can put my uh, clean jeans on instead of my dirty jeans. Right. And, uh, you know, get dressed up for the occasion. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And then uh, you, you said you have a fourth one that's that you're planning right now, but you haven't really started. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got Glacier to Tetons, which is going to be a monumental effort. That's going oh, to be nice. The, the, uh, that'll probably be the capstone of the year as far as like grandiose scenery, uh, you know, amazing drone shots, um, you know, crippling efforts. <laughs> it's it's going to be tough. Um, but also, you know, there's a lot to learn. You know, I go into each one of these things with eyes wide open. Uh, and I don't have assumptions about what the place will be, even though I've read a lot about it. You know, it's, it's like meeting someone, you know, you think you know them, but until you meet them in person, you don't really know them. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to, to really glean from this. And um, Death Valley was a huge surprise uh, for me. You know, it was way more beautiful and a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. It's phenomenal. Um, Trans-Appalachian Lost Roads so much story to it and there's no way we're going to be able to tell the story um and you know it's it's one of those things that um we'll be telling our story but as you've said as you noticed you know me personally i'm very intrigued with other people's story with that route and i'm going to yeah. try to i'm going to try to to at least capture some interviews and this will probably be behind the scenes you know like what we're talking about yeah some behind the scenes at the museum for the stanton and parkersburg turnpike um, some of the journals of Claudius Crozet doing his engineering assessments of this impossible road through the mountains. Um, and yeah, I mean, the ride itself, um, yeah, it's not, uh, I, I think if people were to break it down into like a five day trip, it's phenomenal. I mean, just mind blowing riding. Just did you so give your, did you give yourself a, um, a timeline on, on how long you wanted to do it, or did you have a goal or were you just out there kind of touring? Absolutely. Um, so each one of these routes aren't necessarily impossible. So the route itself, this one was a lost route and we had to find it. And, and the first time you try to find every turn in a maze of roads, I mean, it's tough, you know, you might get lost, you might get turned around. Um, we also were trying to do it with zero outside assistance. So just post office drops. And starting with 40 bucks each. That's tough, man. So you try to ride across two states, 460 miles with 40 bucks. A little challenging. And things got sideways too. You know, we also uh, had Tyler's roommate, 19 year old Travis Longfellow, join. And Tyler brought it up, you know, just two weeks ahead of time. He's like, hey, I want to bring Travis on. He helped us at Death Valley, did all this work for us for free, you know we should, we should give him a shot. It's like, I don't know, man. I remember when I was 19, I was a hot mess. <laughs> it, I don't know. Um, so I, I said, yes, I said, you know what, maybe that'll make it impossible. Who knows? So each one of these, you know, moving forward, we're trying to, um, keep some of the same concept, but add some different story, add some different personalities, add some different challenges you know this one was with 40 bucks 
you know, who knows, maybe the next one will start with uh, zero navigation devices. I mean, that That's would awesome. totally, totally make it, make it a challenge. That's so we've good. got Trans Appalachian Lost Roads. Um, we're going to pivot and do uh, a high, you know, Rocky Mountain High, which is going to be the San Juan Super Loop. I think that's going to be our closing um, possible route for uh, number four. Very cool. And I've already got a ton of ideas for next year. I want to do one in South America, one in Europe. Um, but yeah, budget pending. That's good, man. So um, where can people find the impossible route? Theimpossibleroute.com. Okay. So that's where you'll find all the goods. Um, not only will you see the episodes there or links to the episodes of Mauna Kea, Death Valley, Trans-Appalachia, but you're going to find a lot of material you don't find elsewhere, like the blogs, the ArcGIS story map, uh, which really is almost like a guidebook. I mean, I worked so hard on the guidebook for um, the Death Valley route. I mean, I, I would not feel bad charging people for it. It's like that much work that much yeah. detail we also have curated routes um on strava so if you go to strava uh, we also have a discount uh or a free trial for 14 days of strava premium so we'll make sure to put that in the bio link uh for people who just want to try it out and try the route builder the route builder is really phenomenal tool um, which allows people to use millions of downloads um which create a a heat map layer and so if you take this app, you circle an area that you want to go to, it'll automatically just compute from the millions of downloads in your region, the most popular way to get it's there. It's 10 o'clock. And so it'll just create a route in like 10 seconds. It's just insane. Um, so it's super cool. And one of the lesser known features of Strava Premium. Awesome. And then for social media, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on uh instagram uh my instagram handle is uh what is it <laughs> it's jeremiah underscore bishop underscore mtb um facebook jeremiah bishop fan page um my website's jeremiahbishop.com also uh you can look up the impossible route.com or impossible route on instagram so that's another place where uh we host some stuff and we've got um one of our team members who you know, oversees that social handle. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you also see some fun stuff on canyon.com or Canyon NA's Facebook. So sometimes we'll get in there um, for possible routes, for races that I'm doing. Still plan on doing a bit of racing. Still uh, nice. can't, uh, can't shake the bug. Still have to get out there and compete. Um, That's good, man. Motion is lotion. That's right. It's, it's just fun. It gives you something to uh, train for, gives you something to motivate for and fun. Yeah, that's good. Well, Jeremiah, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And uh, I will put all of your socials in the show notes and uh, definitely check out the impossible route uh, website for all the fans out there. I have watched the, the one in Hawaii and then the death Valley route. And I'm so looking forward to the, uh, the trans Appalachia route. So thanks oh, very yeah. much, man. I appreciate it. You betcha. Thanks, Brandon. Yep. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed. Please consider following me in my adventures on Facebook at Brandon's Bikes, on Instagram at Brandon's Bikes, and on my YouTube channel, Brandon's Bikes. 
If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at brandon at brandonspikes.com. Until next time, train smarter, not harder, and enjoy the adventure.